When they first heard about this thing, it was crew expendable. The next time they sent in Marines, they were expendable too. What makes you think they're gonna care about a bunch of lifers who found God at the ass end of space? You really think they're gonna let you interfere with their plans for this thing? They think we're... we're crud. And they don't give a fuck about one friend of yours that's... that's died. Not one. I ain't much for begging. Nobody ever gave me nothing. So I say, fuck that thing. Let's fight it. You're listening to Perfect Organism, the Alien Saga Podcast. Welcome to Perfect Organism, the Alien Saga Podcast. I'm your host, Jamie Prater, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Patrick Green, Harry Chicos, and Mash. Welcome to the show, everyone. Hey. hey. We're here. We're ready to celebrate 10 years of yes. a movie that continues to divide and inspire. <laughs> A movie that uh, has... <laughs> I think, from me, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. It's, not what <laughs> it's a fucking trash heap. No, it's, it's a movie that, if anything, has only proven itself more and more over the years to be something that is really lastingly important. You, you know, We're calling this episode Dumpster it. Fire. Ten <laughs> years Dumpster of Fire, the musical. <laughs> um, we, uh, no, I'm super pumped about it. We also just, you know, we had to not have Andy and Christian on. Both of them were planning on being here, but for various reasons, they had to to not join to the last moment. Their voices are very valued and we are missing you both tonight, but we will carry on in your stead. Xander as well. Um, there's a lot going on tonight in PO extended family world, but I'll tell you what is uh, good news in the perfect organism family. You know what that is? What? We got a new patron, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, okay. That's oh, <laughs> so thank you very much to Philip Pace, who joined us as a patron uh, just this morning and it joined us in a currency that I had never seen before, but I had to look up and it's Polish uh, currency. So Philip, yes, Patrick, sweet. Welcome. Patrick texted me at six in the morning because it was nine in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> new patron. We get very excited about that. Thank you, Philip. Yes. And thank you, Nick thank DeBoer, you, also our, our, our other recent patron. If you want to join them, head over to perfectorganism.com slash support, or just look for us on Patreon. We got tons of shit coming, including an episode that I'm recording with two fine gentlemen on tonight's show in just a couple of days on Men, the new movie from Alex Garland. But uh, yeah, excited to be here. Me too. Uh, but yes. moving on, we are here to celebrate the 10th anniversary of Prometheus and we're going to start off this episode talking about where we were. Some of this you guys have heard before uh, because the show's been around for over seven years now and things we're just going to retread. But this is, can you believe it, Patrick? Seven years. And you're almost on your sixth year with Perfect Order. Yeah, I'm going to hit that in a month. Crazy. It's yeah, crazy. That's, that's fucked up is what that is. And we just said it was the <laughs> fifth year, remember? And here we are at the sixth year. It's nuts. Um, but- there's a, a lot to talk about. Again, you will have maybe heard bits and pieces of, of our origins with Prometheus. Um, but here we are again to talk about it and hopefully discover some new ways to talk about it and celebrate it the best way we can. It is, it has been a very divisive film and fandom, but I also think it's found its place in its own way. So we'll get into that later. Uh, but I'll start off. Um, 
I remember when this film was announced, I was on the AVP Galaxy forums. Uh, my handle was this Bethesda C, and I was active on there every fucking day. And I remember when it was announced, and I was just, I think when I first heard it was announced, I was waiting in a car in the rain in Chicago for my brother. I think. That might have been Force Awakens. No. Wait a minute. I don't remember. I think it was Prometheus. <laughs> and uh, I One was just... Prequels. I was, of course, through the moon. You know, she just was. went over the moon um, and through the moon. And I was just really, really excited. Of course, being a huge Alien fan all of my life, knowing that the father of sci-fi is coming back to his rightful place where it all began with Alien. And, you know, it just started from there. And this was... When this was announced, as I'm sure all of you guys remember, this is when things would leak. There would be production updates. Uh, they would release first stills. Um, things were happening back during that time that don't happen this, that often uh, when uh, content is announced. And so it was, it was a really exciting time, especially being on those forums and hearing everyone speculate. And then uh, there was all these kind, all these leaks from the set and we would see i think patrick you described what was that thing from the ship that we saw first yeah it was like the uh, land the leg of the lander or something yeah, yeah. and it was striped red like the the nostromo yeah. so everyone's like oh my god it feels so right um it was just really exciting time it's one of the best times to be a fan is during the announcement and the lead up to a new a new movie or whatever so it was great yeah no prometheus was a really just um, a cool time in my life. I guess I'll start there just because I was in college at the time um, at the University of St. Thomas in St. Paul. Shout out my alma mater. But I uh, was kind of I, I was just um, really busy with school, I guess I should say. Uh, and like just I think I had a lot going on at the time and I wasn't really I know I've mentioned this in the in the past episodes when, we, when we've chatted on Prometheus, but um, it wasn't something I like, I like had this realization after the first time that I'd seen the film that I was like, Oh my God, this is a, this is an alien film. Like this is something from Ridley Scott again. Um, and because growing up, like I was sort of on an Island, right. Like by myself loving these movies so much and no one else really, uh, I guess cared about them as, as so much as as I did and, and lived in um what this story was. And so uh I just didn't have I didn't have the the friends or or just the um the community around me to uh I guess chat with this around or or like watch all of the um keep up to date with what they were coming out with with the announcements and things like that. Uh, which I really wish I would have because now I'm like so on top of it um, that like we're eating everything up that's coming out now. Uh, but yeah, 10 years ago, I, I was just like in a different place in my life where I really didn't get to absorb a lot of that stuff. Uh, so sadly, it, there wasn't a lot there for me. But that, what was great about it is what made seeing the film for the first time and, and how great it was. And I feel like that's for me why... I kind of like Prometheus, you know, a little bit more than Covenant and things like that. It, it just there was more of an origin story there um, for me a little bit. But yeah, that that's kind of how my journey with it uh, really started back then. You don't have to feel bad about that because I had like the same 
experience in a, in in a lot of ways like i had seen the alien films or at least two or three of them and well it started with a trailer that i saw in the theater for um for prometheus when i was going to see something else and that just like it was the greatest trailer i'd ever seen and then i um was like what is this so then i actually had learned through reading like something that was like oh, so this is a prequel. It's like a loose prequel. I don't know. And um, yeah. And then when I saw it, but I, but yeah, I don't know. I didn't, I wasn't wrapped up in the, the roll up to it either. I was unaware and um, I got to give it up to the, whoever cut that trailer. Hell yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah. Oh yeah. That first teaser was just. Yeah. The sirens, right? Yeah. Yeah. The Prometheus siren, which is still my alarm yeah. clock. I think that the 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 way the PR rollout happened for Prometheus was probably the best I've ever seen for, you know, any of the franchises that I'm into. I really feel like the slow leak of details and photos and the mystery that they were put out there with, it just gave us all so much fodder to talk about and to, you know, come up with weird theories about why this piece of technology looked like this and like what timeline this was going to be on and like what was that goo substance like what what could that possibly relate to? And uh, and then, yeah, when the trailer came out, it was just so kinetic and exciting. And I was like, man, this looks really good. I saw it with my friend and he didn't like it. And I remember that it stuck with me for like a week and really got to me some of the scenes were like maybe i wasn't watching as I, I hadn't like fully gotten into like my horror uh phase at that point but like the med bay scene i remember really got to me i was like that yeah messed with me and um and just how i wasn't necessarily expecting the the engineers to become the monster or the monsters and that just kind of that idea kind of like you know went in you know kind of left a stain on my brain to <laughs> um yeah the that's that's essentially it how about you what was your first impression like walking out of the theater what is what is the emotion you have walking you know under the exit uh sign (laughs) well speaking personally for for me the emotion that i walked out with was basically befuddled um removal but i'll get i'll get to why i felt that way when Prometheus was announced, I was a graduate student at the Boston Conservatory at Berkeley. What up? I don't think we had a mascot, but I would say go, whatever that was. Um, Patrick's hair was the mascot. <laughs> my hair was the mascot. It was, it was an eighth note, actually, was the mascot. <laughs> and, uh, so, like, I was you know, a very busy, you know, I was getting a master's degree. I had a shitload of work to do. I was, all of my alien stuff was at my parents' house because it had followed me my entire life all the way through college. And then I moved into this tiny little, you know, studio apartment in downtown Boston that that was like $6,000 for seven feet. And I was like, I have nowhere to put my alien things. So like mom and dad, can I store it in your basement? And, um, and so I did, and they stayed down there. And so I was removed from all of my like childhood alien stuff. I wasn't, I wasn't really participating in forums very much at that point. I had kind of left most of that to focus on school. And then Prometheus was announced in the middle of that. And so for me, I was like, um, almost upset about it. I, I was almost like, 
you know, this is happening and I'm not as engaged as I feel like I should be. I'm not like a part of the community anymore. And like, why does it look so different? And then, you know, as these things came out and as we got little glimpses, and then especially when we got the actual trailer for it, I was like really excited. And it was this interesting feeling of like, oh, my passion has been reignited. Like, I want to go back and pick up all my alien stuff and like move it up to Boston and just live in my collection, you know? Uh, And then the movie came out and I saw it when it opened with my now wife, then girlfriend, and one of my best friends, Drew, who has been, he was on our Patreon series about Dune and uh, is similarly a big sci-fi person. And we went to see it at the Lowe's Theater, downtown Boston. I'm sure Madge knows it well. And, uh, and I was like, what, what is this movie? It felt so different and so weird to me. And the writing felt so stilted and it just was not what I was expecting and I felt confused by that because I looked at who was behind it, you know, and I looked at who had made it and the pedigree that that movie should have had. And, uh, and I was like, man, maybe alien really like is something from my past. Like maybe I'm just sort of like going to live in that original trilogy. And I've gone through this, of course, previously on the series, but all of that is to, is to say that I feel very differently about it now. And I, th- I think at the end of this episode, we're going to circle back to it. But now when I watch Prometheus, I, I really am able to get over the things that used to hang me up about it. And I'm really like deeply grateful for many aspects of it. The things that it's contributed to the lore that we have to work with in the franchise, the other works that we'll get to later that were inspired by it, the sorts of questions that it asked that at the time felt so stupid to be in an alien movie, but now feel really, you know, part of it to me. Um I don't know. It's a movie that has earned its stay in my heart. And in a way it made the way for alien covenant, which was the film that reignited my passion even more than when I was a child and got me to fall madly in love with it again and got me to come on this podcast in the first place, 750 years ago. So I do, I do owe a lot to Prometheus and I realize increasingly the older I get, the more time I spend talking about it as opposed to when it first came out 10 years ago, you know, I had no children. I was in a very different place in my life. And, uh, and I, I look back on that almost as like a different person now, you know? So yeah, time, time does heal a lot of things. I think. What I think about, um, I, I, it's interesting. I think about the excitement I had for Prometheus when, you know, it was being rolled out and, you know, the, all the press and everything that was leaking and it was so exciting, but oddly enough, what helped, it didn't, I didn't start you know, this show then in 2012, it wasn't until three years later when Blomkamp announced his film that, and I think probably because my reaction to Prometheus was like, uh, okay. You know, but my first couple of days off of Prometheus, like I went with my then partner, Dennis, and we both were like, we couldn't stop thinking about the movie. We were like, it was just in like, I remember the first screening, I was like, whoa, that was a lot to comprehend. And it was a lot to get through. Um, you're being thrown back into this universe in a very, in kind of the back door, as Ridley Scott put it. And characters are new, settings somewhat familiar, but it's also new. Um, and you're trying to kind of collate in your mind what's actually happening. And you don't really know if it's a good film or if it's, a middling film or what kind of film it is. You're just, because there's so much into it. And then I think I saw Prometheus. I think I saw it four times in the theater. It might've been three. One of them was uh, in 3d. 
But I didn't really come to the conclusion that I felt like this wasn't working for me until later on. It just took me a while. But I think to Patrick's point, what really works in that movie is what, for me, keeps it relevant. It keeps the conversations relevant. Uh, the, the idea of where we come from, who created us, um, what are they? What do they expect of us? Are they malevolent? Are they kind? Um, what, what do we do when we reach them? And it, it was a lot to process. And I loved the imagery. I thought it was beautiful. I still think it was, is beautiful. And I still love seeing images from, I mean, the whole sequence with Fifield and Milbourne and, and the, the hammerpeed, that's some terrifying shit. It's, it's a incredible, uh, Patrick doesn't agree. That's fine. Um, he's wrong. <laughs> um, but I loved that sequence. There's so much of that movie that I really, really enjoy. I, I tend to, uh, to Perry's point, I like Covenant more. Um, Covenant just had more for me to sink my teeth into. It felt like home a little bit more. But really, Prometheus does have a rightful place. And we're, we'll get to that in terms of its legacy later on. But uh, I didn't like, oh, my God, I hated it. And I never, I've never hated it. Um it's just been this, like, what I don't like, I hate. Uh, well, I just, I just contradicted myself. Uh, what I don't like about Prometheus, I abhor. And I can't, which is one of the things that we talked about in terms of I can't watch the film with the sound on. Um, because it's just too much for me. Um, but I do think that John Spates, Ridley Scott, Damon Lindelof really set up some incredible things in that film that I'm really grateful for. And so I'm glad it exists. The hammer repeat scene scared me too. I remember, I remember that upset me a lot. I still think it, it looks great. Like all, like the whole, yes. the whole movie. Yeah. That scene freaked me out uh, to an extent that, and the med bay scene for sure. Uh, Maj, I know you mentioned, but those two watching those and being in like, what I love about alien, like the film, the trilogy itself, is just uh, the the idea of putting yourself in that situation and how these average everyday people are thrust into like these insane situations where they have to fight for survival, and you get a you get a taste of that in the hammerpeed scene. Um, but Shaw's character was you know great too, and and that med scene i mean i I would have passed out the first staple goes into my stomach i would have been passed out the thing would have came out and ate me or i would have been dead in a second obviously like um i think the reason uh, that scene the hammer repeat scene is like at least like felt you know it's one of the deaths it's a notable death it's pretty awful with the arm getting snapped and everything but i i do remember now a lot of it this is coming back to me and stuff from that first viewing and I remember, you know, being like 18 years old and one of the few sort of interesting, like, you know, film theory things that I knew was that Alien had like a psychosexual aspect to it. And I was like, what's this movie going to be this new one? Because it also looks like it's this whole um you know, chariots of the gods, what do you like ancient aliens thing, which was, you know, this movie came out in 2012. That was like very zeitgeisty. So I and so I'm like what you know what what is what's this going to be so then when that death happened i was like oh well um well there it is <laughs> that answers my my first question 
I remember being frightened at moments in it. So I'm, I might be laughing a little bit at the hammer. Pete. Mostly it's because I think the hammer Pete is just such a funny name and it's just become such a running joke that I can't really get scared of it again. But <laughs> I do think <laughs> it just sounds so <laughs> ridiculous, but there are, there are sequences in it. It's important to remember that, that I think are frightening and feel very alien in that aspect. And the first time I saw it really scared me. I think when they're first entering the building and uh you know five field is sending the pups out i think that's like really ominous and feels very alien and i to me the best part of the whole movie other than the first 10 minutes is the last engineer stuff towards the end of the film which i think is absolutely terrifying i mean i, I really think ian white in that suit you know trampling down the hallway and the trilobite like that is some really scary shit and i think uh it illuminates things in alien that work really well, even though it's different. It's sort of the same, but you know, revivified quite a bit. You know, Prometheus is interesting because, in terms of like film history, right? It predates the requel phenomenon that we're living through right now, right? Where we keep getting these movies that are basically the original movie to the point where now with movies like Halloween and Scream, right? They're not, they're not even calling it a different. They're just calling it the same thing they called the original movie from twenty years ago, right? In some cases. Um, and Prometheus, in some ways, was an early glimpse at a requel because it gave us a lot of the beats, obviously, that we get in Alien. It kind of helped to introduce some of the mythology and some of the biology that goes into what makes Alien what it is. And also to introduce a new generation of filmgoers to Ridley Scott's work on the film. So in some ways, there's kind of a requel aspect to it. But I think where it shines the best is where it deviates the most from Alien, but makes us feel similarly to it. So like the Hammer Pete sequence, right, with Milburn and Fifield, like that obviously is analogous to Kane and the Overmorph on LV-426, right? It's the same, basically the same pace. It's the similar thing where you get too close to the forbidden fruit and it goes wrong, you know? And then the difference there, though, is that it results in just the immediate death of Milburn and then the, the mutation of Fifield. Um, which it then it then falls on its face for me because the way Fifield is handed is handled in the finished version of the script that Lindelof touched to me feels like very comical. Whereas before we saw him, like when, when I just saw that he'd been exposed to the pathogen for the first time, I was like, what the fuck is going to happen? Like, I remember that moment being like his helmet broke. Like, this is very, very scary. Um, and I think to me, like Prometheus lays a lot of seeds for some amazing body horror that was to come, especially in the expanded universe, which I'll talk about in a moment. And like that alone on its face redeems any bad dialogue in Prometheus for me, because it, it gave me like, it got me scared of Alien again, which is pretty impossible considering that I probably watched Alien an average of four times a week for 12 years or so, right? Like I, I ended up being frightened of the film again because I thought more about what it would mean to be to be transmogrified by something, to be changed, to be forcibly altered for like a lot of these things are really fucking scary and are in some ways implicit in alien, you know, cause we get it in deleted scenes or in the special edition with the Overmore sequence. Right. Um, but we don't really get like, it's not really explicit until we see Prometheus. And since then it has been explicit. Like since then, a lot of the storytelling that we see in the video games, the role-playing game, in comic books, especially the novels, it has brought it has played on these themes of body horror in really interesting ways, which again, I'm teasing a lot and I'll get to in a moment, but I, I want to kind of throw those points out there first.
I think also Prometheus takes the psychosexual and makes it actually sexual. I mean, the way that Shaw ends up pregnant with this thing is because Holloway has sex with her. That's the vehicle of, of transmission. And, you know, of course, in the original film, you know, you have the face hugger. Everything's hinted at. Everything's like the idea of a kind of being raped in your face and being impregnated. Uh, those are psychological ideas. That's actually not what's really happening. I mean, yes, you're being violated, but it's not sexual violation, which is very, very different than violation that isn't sexual or like violence. I mean, if someone shoots you in the arm, yes, that's a horrible thing. It's very different than being raped. It just is. They're two different horrors. And Prometheus pushes that boundary. It pushes that boundary into she made love to the man she loves and she got pregnant with this thing that she doesn't even know what it is. And so it's the deepest part of who we are. Uh, it's our ability to procreate when you become pregnant or you impregnate someone and you think you're whatever you think you're just making love. And then that love turns to death and no other film has done that. And with the, the actual body horror that uh Fifield goes through where the, the goo just changes, starts changing. And we've never seen that before. I mean, it was hinted at in Gibson skip script, um, but we never really saw that, but this was close to that. So it really pushed the boundaries of a lot of the ideas that we've always been talking about in terms of sexuality in these films and what the creature represents and how its reproductive cycle hints at that. Um, so I think in those ways, it's really, really successful to Patrick's point about the, like the hammer Pete scene. I think the whole like, Oh baby, when he's talking to it, he's like, going up to it that's ridiculous it's just it it kind of takes the piss out of it you know but I, what i when it really becomes dynamic and frightening is when it wraps itself around his his arm and he's like oh it's okay and then it gets worse and it gets worse and it gets worse and then something happens to fifield and then you know the thing bur burrows through um Milburn's mouth, which is one of the most horrifying sequences I've ever seen. They played that beautifully. Um, it was just a really brilliant moment uh, in a film that's kind of all over the place tonally. Um, but I, I, I'll never forget that. And it was something that I really, really enjoyed. And in those moments, I was like, okay, this is an alien film. Um, but pushing it further, getting further under our skin than most alien films has when it's successful. So, uh, I, I loved what it did for that. And I loved that it pushed us into even, and it made what happened in Covenant possible as well. Yeah, Jamie, to your point, uh, the whole, just the horror of it, right? Like Prometheus really brought back this, this, this great level of what the trilogy, what the original alien um, brought, I think, into the, the art of filmmaking and that like that love then turns into death sort of thing. And just the idea of um, being violated by something that you don't, you have no comprehension of what that is uh, and it turning into the most painful sort of dying death that it, you would think any, anyone could ever experience. Uh, and so, yeah, it's just great that, they were able to touch on that and bring, you know, tastes of that back into Prometheus because I just can't, I can't think 
you know, like you said, you get shot in the arm in a, in a movie or something or in real life, even. Yeah. Like that sucks. But like, um, you know, what Shaw and these, and, um, you know, uh, just anyone in that has to die from a chest burster or the hammer peed, um, it's unlike any anything I think that we've seen. And I know it's science fiction and and on a level of of there's a level of believability. You know, some people would say, oh, I don't believe in aliens. Well, <laughs> okay. But uh still it's it's just like, man, if you were put into the again, if you were put into this situation, like how would you you react? It doesn't have to be a hammer beat. It, it could be you know, something else. It could be a person doing this to you, but that's just what's so scary about it. And um, and another thing, another ten things about the hammer, Pete. Just kidding, but just uh, <laughs> Jamie and Patrick are probably the two people I know who love film scores maybe the most. I think I can't really like offhand think of someone who's like actively enjoys film scores more. How does this stack up for you two? Where does it is it uh, has it rank or <clears throat> how does it fit you go, into you your go um, first, Patrick? I, I have always been a sucker for that theme. I, I think that is really beautiful. And people complain about it a lot, which is which is fine. I, I really love it. The rest of the score, I find a, a kind of forgettable and um, you know utilitarian. But I, I really feel like the da 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 da. It's beautiful. Da 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 da. This feels like feels like you know some beautiful Wagnerian symphony or some it feels like Mahler to me. scene yeah that, yeah that right beautiful scene yeah and the, the way that it comes back quite a bit through you know the i, I just think it's just it's beautiful and, and I, I really you know from a pure cinema standpoint again the first 10 minutes or whatever the sequence is for prometheus are, are just up there with like some of my favorite things in any alien movie and a big part of that is is daniel's uh score to it i'm saying his first name because i can't remember his last name but i'm gonna look it up so, so i don't sound like a complete moron <laughs> Stop, Jamie, what do you think? Pemberton. Is it? No, no, no. Yeah, Pemberton. Pemberton. No, Daniel Pemberton didn't do that score. No. Did he? No. Yes, he did. He did? Yes, Weird. he did. He also did the score for this, the Age of Resistance Dark Crystal series on Netflix, which I think oh. is fantastic. I thought it was um, uh, the hyphenated name, Greg Gregson Williams or something like that. Harry, Harry Gregson, Gregson Williams? Williams? No. Uh, or the brother, because both brothers do music. Uh I don't like the score, but it's not that I don't think the score by itself is a bad score. I don't think that. I just think it's wholly out of place. It feels like it's from Star Trek. Um, and I don't like, I'm not watching Star Trek. I'm watching Alien. And I felt it's very rudimentary. Um, Ridley Scott has been, he's this machine where he, everywhere he goes these days, he takes the same crew, the same person scoring, 
Um, and it all looks the same and sounds the same. I think Prometheus is an exception, right? It was right at the precipice of that really happening for Ridley Scott, where he would, he was just this, like this production house, like, okay, let's go do this thing. Let's go do this show. Yeah, I want Janty Yates and I want this and I want the, all these same people. And it all ends up sounding the same. Um, and I just wasn't, it just didn't feel alien to me. It just felt familiar. It felt, it felt like a film score. And what I love about uh, Goldsmith's work, what I love about Goldenthal's work is that it feels alien. It feels different. It, it, it's accenting this, these imageries, this imagery in a way, um, that scores typically don't. And when we get to Prometheus, I'm like, it's just a score. It's, it's okay. It's, it's whatever. And I bought it, of course, as I buy everything. Um, I do think it's more of a unique score than Covenant score for sure, where Covenant tends to be, um, which is odd because I think Jed Kurzel, is an amazing composer. I've heard his his music, uh, most notably for Macbeth, and I think it's just gorgeous. But with Covenant, it just ended up being the recycled, over and over recycling what um, Goldsmith did. Certainly, there were moments and um, uh, flourishes of Kurzel's own work, but most of it was overpowered by existing. And I was like, man, we're just seeing, we're just hearing what we've always are already heard because it's safe. Um, but I think, so... In that regard, the score for Covenant or the score for Prometheus, I feel like is more original. It just doesn't work for me. It pulls me out. Um, just for the benefit of the thousands of angry listeners who are waiting for us to correct this, it was not Daniel Pemberton. It was Mark Streitenfeld. Okay. Uh, and Harry Gregson Williams contributed two songs to the soundtrack. Yeah. Daniel Pemberton is is a great composer. He also did Spider-Verse, by the way. Uh, but he collaborated with Ridley Scott on uh, The Counselor and I think All the Money in the World and some other things, too. So Daniel Pepperton is a Ridley Scott person, but this was Mark Streitenfeld. Yeah. And uh, as far as the Covenant Store goes, I, I, I still think very highly of it personally. But I don't think it's terrible. I just think it's derivative. I think it's too derivative. And there's moments where it's going into this like, oh, wow, this is great. And then all of a sudden it's it's alien again. And oh, wow. this, uh, And then it's alien again. I and I think for me with these movies, certainly Prometheus, I ex- I have this bar that's like really high because Alien and Aliens and Alien 3 set that bar high for me. And I don't feel like pr- I think Prometheus, as amazing as those images were, when it came to the score, it was like, just do whatever you think, mate, you know, <laughs> as opposed to, no, let's craft something that's um, Lovecraftian and dark and alien and something we haven't heard before for, much like um zimmer did for the dune score um even though the final dune score is a little bit of a mixed bag what the elements of it are absolutely phenomenal and it took him hours and hours and hours and hours and a whole troop of people to get those sounds together and with alien and certainly with this kind of production machine that ridley scott was for prometheus and then for covenant it just ended up being like a last thought as opposed to another character in the film. And I expect the score to be a character in the film. And for both of those films, it just wasn't for me. Fair enough. <laughs> we, we will, we have a, a Patreon series where we can talk more about both of those things. We're going to take a break and be right back. We all remember that moment, 
the first time we heard a theme from our favorite movie. How it stayed with us, comforted us, stirring our imagination. Sublime Noise is our Patreon-exclusive film score review show. Starting at just $4 a month, you will gain access to Sublime Noise, as well as our Warehouse of Framerate episodes, where we discuss and review our favorite films. To sign up, go to www.perfectorganism.com forward slash support. But going back to Prometheus and how it sits with us, I think, um, something that I, I wanted to make sure we talked about tonight is how it has influenced the expanded universe of content. Uh, and so I, I kind of put some notes down on things that I've come across over the years, you know, the intervening decades since I saw it for the first time. And uh, anybody can jump in or interject or add their own things. But, you know, just kind of going back uh, on the way back machine here, uh, shortly after Prometheus came out, a few years after it, we had the series of comics called Fire and Stone. Um, there was a Prometheus one, there was an Aliens one, there was an Aliens of Predator one. And in Fire and Stone, there was this overarching narrative of this synthetic called Elden, who was very much kind of a David proxy character, but he was injected with that mutagenic pathogen uh, as part of a science experiment. And so then fire, as Fire and Stone goes along, you see him continue to mutate and you see that even though he's synthetic, that there's you know organic components in him that are reacting to this thing. And he becomes eventually this like almost omniscient bloodthirsty monster which is like pretty crazy but um but eldon like his descent into that to me feels very lovecraftian and very alien and it was as far as i can remember the first time i really saw the themes in prometheus taking root remember this is still the dark horse era of comics this is you know like i think it was 2014 uh so like it goes back quite a ways and those comics i think are really uh really frightening in a lot of ways so then, of course, it, because it had been introduced in the Dark Horse continuity, it became a thing that came up all the time for years, you know, in different comic books, and including to today, where we have Philip Kennedy Johnson's ongoing run on the Marvel Alien series, uh, his the Bloodlines uh, first segment of it, the first arc, the pathogen is like a major component of that. You know, like it's very much a meditation on the things that we do to improve ourselves and what, what we'll be willing to do to get there. And whereas things before, to me, like as somebody who has read most of, if not all of the Dark Horse era comics at this point, um, you know, the main theme in those is the bioweapons division, right? Like everybody was always just preoccupied with getting this thing as a weapon. And it, you still see that now, like in, for example, Aliens Colony War, uh, which we just did an interview with the audiobook narrator of, which will be coming out shortly. Uh, that book has the pathogen in it as well, but it really talks about the bioweapons division and about how this will be really useful for warfare. But like the over overall, what we hear about now in expanded universe content isn't really the bioweapons anymore. It's the pathogen. And that's something that really came from Prometheus because it was invented by John Spates originally as a swarm of black beetle scarab creatures and then eventually after the Lindelof rewrite this goo this this pathogen this this mutagenic substance um and of course we have alien covenant which builds on the themes hugely and also includes tons of stuff about the pathogen and to me like the scariest things in alien covenant are i, mean, I think i can say this for all of us aren't the alien stuff 
it's the Prometheus stuff in Alien Covenant, right? Which is pretty crazy to think that. Like by the time we get the what what appears to be a, an alien, you know, as we know it from the first film, but maybe a, you know a protomorph or whatever. By the time we get there, like we we basically know what's happening. The movie plays out according to, you know, the standard fare for any alien film. We're going to have a beat where we're going to get on the ship and then it's going to, we're going to think it's over, but it's not over and then blah, blah, blah. And we, we, all of a sudden we have this rubric to understand it. But up to that, the reason why Covenant is so frightening for so many of us is because it really feels like uncharted territory. And that uncharted territory exists because of themes that came up in Prometheus. This idea of David experimenting with life, right? This idea that to create is to be human. And if we want to find out where we came from, we have to find out the horrible truth that we came from fallible creatures in the Ridley Scott universe who were consumed by this need to destroy as much as they were to create. And that in order to create, they sought to destroy as well. Prometheus begins with an engineer killing himself by ingesting what appears to be the same exact pathogen that we're talking about, right? This idea that is all over Prometheus, that death and life are intertwined and that the lines between those things are sometimes hard to divine. Like many of the most frightening moments for me in the lead up to Covenant, as I've mentioned many times, were when we got, you know, those images of Shaw from the David's drawings that were released, or when we saw, you know, all of these weird Renaissance-like sketches of these horrible experiments being done, all of these really body horror things um, exist really because of Prometheus. And then, of course, now we have a Fireteam Elite, right? Video game, many people are playing on all sorts of different platforms, awesome multiplayer game. They're still coming out with new content for it. So make sure you pick it up if you haven't already. It's definitely worth it. Um, but in Fireteam Elite, like, and also Aliens Infiltrator, the novel that it was tied in with for release, like the pathogen is all over the place and there's engineers in it. We get to go into temples with giant faces in them. So we recognize that very clearly. And also we see other types of you know pathogenic monstrosities in that we have these husk creatures that are scientists who were exposed to it and have become basically these like zombies. We have all of like the native flora of the planet that we're fighting on that have been exposed to it. And they come out as like poppers and, you know, crawlers and stalkers and things, all of these weird, bizarre things that couldn't exist if we didn't have that pathogen. The Alex White novels, which I think both of which are easily in the top tier of any expanded content. Like, I mean, I put them up there almost with like alien isolation in terms of like absolutely important things for every alien fan to read. You know, Alex White's novels are suffused with Prometheus references and especially with pathogen references. Cold Forge has a ton of it, but Into Charybdis, the one that came out last year, um, you know, the pathogen is, is all over the place and it's used to tremendous effect as a vehicle, again, for body horror. There's a lot of really frightening sequences in it that exist only because the pathogen exists in the universe of the book. And it only exists in the universe of the book because it exists within the universe of Alien because Prometheus existed and allowed us to have those things. And so I look at what we get now, you know, we have the RPG, which is doing great and has tons of tons of Prometheus stuff in it. And especially all of the work that, you know, Andy Gaska and contemporaries have done to bridge all of the continuity together. Like, I mean, like the, the events in Prometheus are writ large over everything in that entire continuity because it takes it seriously, right? I look at that 
that everybody's playing that. I look at, you know, Infiltrator and Fireteam, which are tied to it as well, and also have all of this in it. I look at the Marvel comics that are coming out that are referencing Prometheus left and right. And I really have to say that it's clearer to me than ever that Prometheus is like not only just sort of an accepted or, you know, begrudgingly accepted part of Alien fandom, that it's actually foundational to what Alien means today for people, not as the relic of 40 three years ago that that alien was right. But as something that feels very new and relevant, and I think plays on a lot of fears that people have, because as we advance as a species, right, as we are able to do more things to ourselves, like what, how do we know what the limit for that is? Right. Alien resurrection asks us questions similar to that too, in a, in a much more cartoonish way, because it came about, you know, around the time of Dolly, the sheep and everything, you know, but this is, this is not asking kind of fantastical questions about cloning. It's asking like what makes us human in the first place. And if what makes us human is a drive to create things, then what are we destroying in the process of creation? And if the answer to that is ourselves, I would argue that that's basically the theme that drives alien in the first place, which is oblivion, right? Which is what we were talking about, that this, the pursuit of perfection or the pursuit of you know, the promised land is what will ultimately lead to the conflagration that will take us down. So that's an, probably the longest single answer I've ever given on a perfect organism episode. But that is to say, I think Prometheus really speaks to alien in a way that feels truly contemporary to me. And I think that's you can see that because it's used everywhere right now. And to that point, Prometheus opened the sandbox. It created a larger area to play with, essentially, where now that there's a pathogen, that pathogen can infect people different ways, whether it's through the eyes or pregnancy or complete actual uh, body horror or transforming the body into something else. We have Prometheus to thank for that. And I, I, I... and I, we wouldn't have Covenant unless we had Prometheus, even though, again, Covenant in its own way, it's divisive. It pushed the boundaries even further about transmission, about the kind of vehicle of reproduction that the beasts use. And I, again, we have Prometheus to thank for. And even further than that, in terms of, uh, well, actually, first question, how is, is isolation connected to Prometheus? I think I there think, are Easter eggs in isolation that harken back to it. Perry, what were you going to say? Oh, no. <clears throat> Excuse me. All I was going to say, and I was going to say, Patrick, correct me if I'm wrong, but that what I can maybe grasp at is uh, simply like the working joke, like more of the AI, like the company um, dynamics between Wayland uh, and then you have the Sikhs and working Joes. And I, I can't. I'm grasping here again, but I didn't know if there was um, some sort of like rivalry with like uh, the synthetics more and more playing on like that about, uh, I don't know, maybe tying not necessarily David into that, but just what Wayland was doing with their own synthetics. And then you have Seeks in and, and you're, you know, you're, you're seeing this other side of that. But yeah, as far as like the pathogen and things like that go to, to your point, Patrick, right. It's, it's more tied to like Amanda and, and like, you know, trying to find the recorder and things like that um, from the alien film. So there, it didn't, it was more grasped uh, 
upon that, I guess, unless there's something I'm missing when you go when you go explore the derelict itself. Yeah, well, I'm looking at a. At, so we were talking about this earlier with Christian, and he pointed out something that I didn't know about in the game, which is a tie-in that. So he says, if you, and again, because he's not here tonight, uh, he's not here to correct me if I'm misinterpreting this. But what he said was, if you shot the space jockey skull, you would see the flying saucer from the start of Prometheus shoot the jockey's ship and make it crash. All done in Prometheus styling with holographic blue. Um, and that the game developers made a big deal out of coordinating with Ridley Scott. I don't remember. I, I, I never, and I've done multiple playthroughs and I've never actually shot this jockey skull before so maybe i'll have to do that yeah, next time interesting. so there's definitely there's definitely easter eggs in it for sure but hmm. you know colonial marines also came out around the same time as uh as you know as isolation and prometheus and it also feels to me very distant from from both of those things you know so but hmm. that, that, that's kind of why i started my little timeline with the fire and stone comics because to me like that was the first time we saw i mean the deacon also shows up in that um, you know, there's a lot of like very Prometheus specific content in Fire and Stone that comes out that feels to me like the the tone of the way that Prometheus is used now, which is that kind of body horror thing. And I was lastly, I was just going to add maybe I, I've never shot the uh, <laughs> space jockey's head either, um, which is very interesting. And I now do want to try that. But uh, <laughs> um the thing I was thinking of is when you shut off the beacon, it's very much like the the buttons in the ship in Prometheus, sort of. And in in a way, I guess, now that I'm thinking about it. And so I'm like, oh, maybe they're loosely grasping at like or just connecting the dots that, yes, this was, in fact, like an engineer led ship, which I know Prometheus wasn't really um you know, Spates and Lindelof and like that idea was brought around like, Hey, do we want, do we really want this film to be the be all end all? And this ends with who's in the chair in alien. Right. And so I'm thankful that they didn't answer that question. Right. And, and um, that that's still something that we can wonder about, but they do give us that great gift. I, I think personally, which is the, the engineers, and, and that that idea alone um, and the the Patrick oblivion, the create to discreate uh, things like that, um, the life and the death um, from death, there is life, you know, like that's throughout the, the entire franchise through the whole trilogy. I mean, Kane, the chestburster, like Kane dies. Here's this alien now that we that is you know causing wreaking havoc and horror and um and also creating itself if you think about the egg morphing things like that right like there's so much out there um that i guess you could tie in then to the pathogen itself so there are these things these really great gifts and moments that prometheus gave us um to expand on our own personal universe you know and however you want to think about uh those movies because I kind of felt the same way, Patrick, uh, you said it in the beginning here when we started that um, you thought Alien was, or uh, sorry, you thought that you were going to have to 
only rely on like the trilogy as like you're, you're gonna have to live within the trilogy as like you're as those films again like nothing's really gonna come out anymore it's we have to like live kind of in the past with these films that we all love um because i was very much on that island myself and so it was awesome to see what prometheus gave us as far as um just expanding our minds into what else what could be out there um i don't know if yeah. anyone else you know, felt a similar way, but yeah, that, that was, um, that was definitely huge for me. Gave us the black goo or the pathogen or the accelerant or whatever you want to call it, which I like that there's so many different names for it. They should keep making new names for it. And, um, the, the engineers, like you said, but also it gave us Michael Fassbender as David, which is just, uh, I don't know, movie magic. Perfect. Like I was thinking about it. I really just like stopped and thought about it. And I was like, could anyone else have played that? It just wouldn't, I, I can't think of a single actor that like would have, would have been so right for it. It's it's just awesome. I think that actually brings us to something I was hoping we could maybe, you know, get towards an ending on, which is what's everyone's favorite moment from Prometheus or favorite aspect of it. What's something that you even even if it wasn't that first time you saw it, it sat with you through the years and you find yourself revisiting it? The engineers for me, like I think that they are iconic and terrifying. Um, they're like the alien creature itself while being very humanoid. Um, but they're, of course, quiet and silent. You don't know what they're thinking, even though they have eyes. You don't know. They're not saying anything. I think it was. it's one of the most iconic designs of a humanoid creature I've seen on film, whatever, in years. And for them to have pulled that off is almost impossible. But you can see it in the detail. Um, of course, they had Ian White portray the main engineer and then they had a couple other guys, you know, as, as background. Um, and it's, I love the design and, you know, that's one thing I wanted to mention, even in terms of the legacy of, of Prometheus, people love that design and you see all over people painting the engineers, talking about them, referencing them. It's, they're really something that got under our skin in terms of whatever, idealized God that might have seated us, you know, in that universe being terrifying, um, being almost like the God of the old Testament Bible where, um, we're going to rain down fire on you because you're not doing what we want you to do. Uh, almost, a, it's a very mythological, malevolent, hard to please. You better beg for forgiveness God embodied in the engineer. And it's terrifying to me. I, I also can't stop looking at them when they're on screen. And that moment when it, you know, David's like, Shaw, it's coming after you. Like, that's a pretty tense moment. And it's a very tense, uh, next few scenes. Um, one scene that they cut from the theatrical edition. I don't think there's, that there's only the theatrical, which is when the, engineers after going after Shaw and it goes into that, whatever that little, what do they call that thing? The, it's like the away like, ship essentially. Like the escape that, pod or the, yeah, uh, it's like an escape pod, but it's like a, it's like a, 
it's it's something that someone can live in for a few years until rescue team arrives. I think it was meant for vicars. At any rate, yes. there's a scene where it goes in and you see it reading books. It's fascinated by human culture, almost like looking on what its own creation and what that creation has wrought. Um, but then it eventually it goes hunting Shaw and that moment when it, it approaches her and, you know, Ian White in that costume has these massive thighs. He's over seven feet tall and he's just approaching this very small human. And we don't really know what it's going to do in terms of, is it going to kill her? What is it going to do? Is it going to take her back to the ship? Is it going to hold her hostage? And it's very, a very alien moment in that movie. And it's terrifying. And I'll never forget in a later teaser that they released for Prometheus, the last moments you see are flickerings of that shot of him approaching her and she's screaming and then it cuts to the title. And the, the, again, the engineers are some, are something I have not been able to shake. And, uh, I, I think it's wholly successful and brilliant and terrifying and within in line with Giger's aesthetic as well. It's very much something that's come from the mind of Giger. And if you look at the original um, concept designs for Alien, you'll see a man during the life cycle um, mural that he did that looks a lot like the engineer. Um, so they kept it close to that. And so it feels real. It feels tangible. It feels like this thing has existed for eons um, because they did their homework. I'll just jump in and say, without just um, saying overall the engineers, I think maybe my favorite scenes are about are about the engineers and have the engineers the opening, of course, and the the moment where the engineer is has been woken up and he's standing over them, listening to them speaking with David, and there's that tense moment you don't quite know what's going to happen, and then he snaps and turns on them and sets his you know his uh his designs on killing everybody and then killing the earth um that was just yeah i don't know that struck a uh, fear into me in a way that stuck with me that i think i have to you know when i think about just what part of the movie affect affected me affects me the most still something about that when it's when all hell breaks loose and he just smashes an old man's head and then rips off the the android's head it's just i don't know it it's um it's like panic mode. So I don't know. I'll just throw that moment out there because it still sticks with me. Yes. Jamie, Maj, great moments. Uh, so I won't add on to them. I, I wholeheartedly agree. Uh, obviously, I ha- I do have to. And this is something I brought up before, but um, I love the insight we get into Wayland um, and, and just seeing what is the corporation you know the i guess the beginnings of the corporation that you see throughout the um the trilogy uh and just getting an idea of that so i love those little moments um david of course like the point of view from the ai is great um i love that or orary scene am i saying that right thank you um i love that scene and that that just like that little peek inside the world that is, you know, a creation of, of humans, right? Like Waylon created this AI uh, and now he wants to create from himself. You're kind of like seeing this rebirth of David, like 
uh, I don't know, almost becoming self-aware when he's in that room and he's playing the flute and and the 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 galaxy, the the planet show. I just love that. That's something that I will actually sit and search on YouTube and I just watch that that three minute clip of that scene. I, I love that. Uh, and then lastly, something that I feel like um, just isn't present in today's culture as much or, or you you probably we probably don't see that in the media a whole bunch but just the idea of like sacrificing yourself to save the world i absolutely love the scene when the engineer after all after um he turns they wake him up and he turn and he's gonna take the ship and leave and shaw's running back and and um Telling them like, uh, you know, you have to stop the ship or else there'll be no Earth to go back to. I love that scene um, as like Idris Elba and, and like his crewmates. And they're like, all right, like we're going to die. Like we're going to die to save the Earth. And it's just like, wow, man, like they were all they all had the understanding that no matter what they were going to find out in the world, like if it came down to it, like they they would do that sort of thing even though they made them, they might've not known all everybody from like going on this job out together, but like they made the decision right then and there, like, Hey, we're going to sacrifice ourselves to stop the ship so that whatever is on that ship, the death that they're carrying will not, you know, make it to earth, which I don't know in today's day and age, I don't know if, if they would have made that decision, if that was a real situation, you know what I mean? Um, so it's really cool to see that because like, I, I, I just love that. There's so much honor in that. That was beautifully said. It, it, in, in a way, it, you know, it reminds me of, remember like towards the turn of the last millennium, we had like this glut of movies of people banding together to save humanity. Right. We had like Armageddon we had deep impact. There was all these movies about like huge, and then we had close, not close encounters. Um, uh, War of the Worlds come out, right? And yeah, Independence Day. All of these films that really that really spoke to that idea of like uniting against a common enemy. But now those movies to me feel like vestiges of a gone era, you know. And and I think Prometheus, in some ways, in some ways it's aged incredibly well. But in that way, in particular, to me, it feels like a product of a simpler time in a way, which might might just be me sitting here jaded in 2022, having been through so much, but like there was a, there was a real, uh, a real innocence at the heart of it. You know, I mean, at the end of the day, it was a movie fundamentally about people believing in greater things than themselves and taking an enormous risk to get there. And their greatest, you know, tragedy wasn't that they were bellicose and warmongering. It was that they were too curious. Right. And um, that's something that I think we can all we can all relate to. And and it's and and when they got their comeuppance, it didn't feel like uh, th- there was no payoff emotionally because like they didn't they didn't really deserve it. Like they might have been shitty scientists, but like you know, at the end of the day, they were just trying to like extend the human lifespan and figure out where they came from. And, and you kind of can't really fault them for that. And then at, they also get to you know many of them at, in those final you know moments of the of the crew's lives, like they they try to basically save their home that they've all left. So you're absolutely right. There's a real beautiful innocence at the heart of that. My favorite moment is the, is the beginning. Cause I talk about that all the time, but instead of getting more into that, I want to read something before we close. 
So this is from the Wayland-Yutani report, which S.T. Perry wrote, but it's, of course, in-universe, you know, it's supposed to be documents and declassified dossiers from, from Wayland-Yutani itself. So I'm going to read- Is it about the hammerpeed? <laughs> Not this time, but may, that, that'll be the oh. Patreon special. Just, just me reading about a hammerpeed for 20 minutes. Uh, but I want to read you the page called Genesis. And it's it's got a huge picture of the actual, the bas-relief that we always talk about on it. And uh, what it says is, so it says this, in March of 2089, doctors Elizabeth Shaw and Charlie Holloway approached Sir Peter Wayland with an incredible theory regarding the origin of man. They believed that they had discovered an ancient inv invitation calling man to a specific location in space to meet his creators. This theory was based on their extensive research into a series of ancient pteroglyphs and cave paintings found all over planet Earth, each depicting a particular configuration of planet-slash-planetoids with a giant humanoid pointing the arrangement out to smaller, worshipful humanoids. This exact configuration of spheres appeared in disparate societies over a span of centuries, strongly indicating a common source. The doctor's theory was that these engineers of humanity were operating from the location that the star map depicted in dozens of these representations. Disregarding recommendations from the company board, Sir Peter turned his considerable resources toward proving Shaw and Holloway's hypothesis, uncovering a correlating star map in the Zeta II reticuli system. He began building the craft that would become the United States commercial starship Prometheus within days of the discovery, choosing the, the name himself. Prometheus, it may be remembered, was the Titan who dared to give humans the gift of fire and who was subsequently punished for his transgression, chained to a rock, his liver eaten each day by an eagle, the organ regenerating every night to be torn out again the next day. In ancient Greece, the liver was thought to be the seat of human emotions. In Western classical tradition, Prometheus came to symbolize human striving, particularly for scientific knowledge, and, ironically, the danger of overreaching in the pursuit of that knowledge. So I wanted to read that because I think it lays out really beautifully, you know, the, the events that lead up to, you know, what sets things in motion for the movie, but also because it reminds us that Prometheus is not about bringing fire to people, Right. That's something that I like everybody who talks about Prometheus, the mythological figure talks about Prometheus as the fire bringer, the bringer of knowledge, right? The reason why we gain access to technology and to heat. But the flip side of the Prometheus myth, you know, in the first place is this, uh, this horrible body horror of this guy who gets chained to a rock and eaten alive every single day, only to have his organs grow back to be eaten again, which to me you know, it's funny. We talk, I was I was thinking about Prometheus as like the story of seeking knowledge, but it's really the story of eternal, you know, uh, torment because of it. And in a way, it's it's really not about bringing the fire back to people. It's about opening ourselves up to like this incredible cycle of uh, abuse, abuse and danger that um, I think is really worth pointing out and 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 looking at the way that prometheus's legacy has gone on over time i feel like the ways in which subsequent artists like alex white have used it so brilliantly have been picking up on that aspect of it you know not on the engineers as like these you know divine knowledge givers but but as like the 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 really horrifying reality that knowledge comes at a price and the price for our knowledge might not be worth the knowledge itself in the first place so yeah, I think I think Prometheus is almost wholly uh, 
redeemed for me, honestly. You know, I might not love watching it, but I love thinking about it and I love talking about it. And I love so many things that would not exist had it not been made. So I, for one, am sitting here 10 years later to the day as of the, when this releases, essentially, um, very grateful that it exists and very grateful that we have such a vibrant community of artists and fans who have developed the themes in it in such beautiful directions. Earlier, I, I said to somebody, I, I use that cliche, it's uh, an interesting failure, but I agree. Is I don't even see it as a failure anymore. It's clearly successful art on many terms, but just has its, uh, has its personality, has its work. Sorry, Jamie, go ahead. No, no, it's fine. I was just, I just agreed with what Patrick said. I thought it was great. Um, but to your point, Maj, when I first saw the film, I remember saying to my partner and to other people, like, I feel like there's a masterpiece of a film inside this film. Um, there's something masterful about the film, even though it's full of a lot of things that just aren't working. Um, but again, it's, it's helped set up a larger world. And it's helped to re-enter this IP that had been dead for a long time. And uh, it was this kind of rocky start. And But we're back. And here we are now, 10 years later, waiting on a new film from Fede Alvarez, waiting on a new series from Noah Hawley. And, you know, with so many other things in in its path in terms of games and RPGs and, you know, so many things and, and comics and countless things. Um, so I, I'm excited for the future. Thanks to that movie. And just to point out that Noah Hawley's FX series already clearly is working within the universe of Prometheus because Prometheus has come up in the lead up to this series already. Like, you know, with this idea that it's about warring experimental, you know, things going on and genetic experimentation versus artificial intelligence. And uh, like Prometheus is, is already all over that thing and we haven't even seen it yet, but in the ways that it's being talked about by the people making it, like, I mean, imagine a world where Prometheus didn't exist, right? What would we even be getting? I, I don't know. It, it would look so different. Bomb camp. I'm kidding. <laughs> it's over. <laughs> Bomb camp. Hey, it left a big footprint, right? Like it's it's great to to see it um influence so much out there. Yeah, Patrick, great, great point. What would we would we be even, you know, as excited as we are if we hadn't had Prometheus and, and the things that it brought to us and, that, and now we're waiting on a lot of great things to come. Um oh, we would have had to record tonight about Requiem again. <laughs> <laughs> Please trying no. to reclaim exactly. it. Exactly. Like it's, I, it's an interesting failure. <laughs> it leaves a big footprint of dog shit. Well, and Prometheus is a complicated discussion, and I think to the point of Requiem or AVP, those films aren't really complicated. They're like, eh, whatever, you know. Yeah, the first one was fun, whatever. The second one was dog shit, and it's easy. There's not a lot of conversation around that. They're kind of they're kind of dead in the water in some ways, whereas Prometheus really isn't. And it props to Ridley Scott and everyone involved in that movie, even though I don't think it was wholly successful. It also wasn't a failure either. It's a, a very nuanced 
conversation that we've continued to have over the past seven years plus of this podcast, and we'll continue to have. And we're going to see how Prometheus informs the Fede Alvarez film, how Prometheus informs the Holly series. And there's going to be so much more to talk about. And again, that's what art does. Art changes and grows, and you see it differently at different intervals, because good art is a living thing. And with that, thank you all for listening to Perfect Organism, the Alien Saga podcast on the 10-year anniversary of the release of Prometheus. And we will be back very soon to continue our discussions about Alien 3 in the 30th anniversary year of that film, um, plus other content that we're releasing. Uh, we have some episodes about books and games and narrators and all sorts of things. So thanks for listening. Including, including including an interview with a gentleman who was writing the definitive book on alien isolation. That game came up many times tonight and he's coming on our show as well. So yeah, lots of look. That's awesome. To. But I would also like to tease one thing that we're going to do for uh perfect organism in the year of, in this 30th anniversary year of alien three, which is a script reading of uh, Vincent Ward's original script. And we're all going to take part as a crew and we might have a couple other people on as guests to read um, just to celebrate this film and to get back to the roots of it and what it was supposed to be originally. So we're looking forward to that. That's somewhere down the pipe in the next few months, but it's coming. Amen. So excited for that. Amen. Amen. Woody. Amen. So you popped a Woody. Woody. That what he said? So it's going to get Woody in here. Just oh, like, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> To find out more information about Perfect Organism, the Alien Saga podcast, please go to www.perfectorganism.com. If you would like to support the show, please go to www.perfectorganism.com forward slash support. Thank you.